and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all of the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we're into the 200s now, and it's our first original versus remake of our 200s era. Okay, is that a thing? Yes. Cool, yeah. cool. Number 201. 201. Uh, and what better way... To, to kick off the 200s, uh, well, I mean, we did Pink Flamingos with 200, and now we're doing this masterpiece and its remake, you know, just just treating you all, and treating ourselves before we dive into some trash for Summer Screams. Yeah, yeah, getting a couple of classics out of the way from the early 70s. Yeah, very much the same gritty, uncomfortable style. Uh, we have, for you today, the... Texas Chainsaw Massacre going up against 2003's The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Um, obvious choice for original versus remake. It is. Really. It is. I mean, this is really the unofficial start to our sort of films. Yeah. Really. Yes. Oh, God. Two very sweaty, Betty films. Yeah. Very sweaty. Very summer. Um, yeah. So an unofficial start. But I'm thinking... 201 episodes in, quite a few months of original versus remake. Yeah. This one's always been quite divisive. Um, I'm thinking sometime in the future we might dedicate a whole episode to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series of films. Mm -hmm. But quite an obvious choice for original versus remake because it's divided people so much. Yeah, I mean, to be honest... Uh, with the sequels, a lot of those deserve their own episodes... <laughs> Yeah. For certain reasons. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, first of all, let's get to the poll results. So the original one with 86% and 14% of you uh, voted for the remake. However, we did have a few comments of people telling us uh, that they prefer the remake uh, and that they don't think the original has aged very well. Um, and whilst we always appreciate comments, I strongly disagree. I mean... The original, for me, is one of the greatest films ever made. Yeah. Yeah. And Across I, all genres. I agree. I agree. It's it's one of the best horror films ever made. Yeah. Um, for me, I can understand where people may come from in preferring the remake. Because it all depends on what you like in your horror films. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, if you don't like horror films, do not watch either of these films. Yeah. Simple as that. But if you like horror films with more gore, mm -hmm. uh, with more going on, more story, if you like um, horror films with more uh, good-looking teens... The <laughs> In wet shirts. What? Wait, the uh, the teens in the original aren't good looking. What are you on about? They are. I did. I did finish it off with wet shirts. Wet shirts. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, this is a good remake. Um, a very good remake. One of my favourites. It's it's not a bad one. It's not bad. It, it's one of the rare cases where more is more actually works. Yeah. Because it's it feels like a separate film. But before we say too much. Let's get into The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1974, written and directed by Toby Hooper, Salem's Lot, uh, Eating Alive, Life Force, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, previous podcast, original versus remake film, Poltergeist, debatable. 
Um, we all know Steven Spielberg directed it. Story by Kim Henkel, who also wrote uh, Eating Alive, The Unseen, Last Night in the Alamo, and Butcher Boys. The budget was somewhere between $80,000 and $140,000. There's nothing really certain on the line. Um, and the box office, it made $30.9 million, making it the biggest, highest grossing uh, independent film up until Halloween a few years later. Yeah, and even then, um, I'm sure you've got it in your trivia, those figures might not be 100% even, yeah, accurate. It could be even more. It may be more. Yeah. Um, before we get to the trivia, let's talk a bit about the franchise as a whole and the impact on uh, pop culture, because it's huge. It um, is. You know, we've had sequels, um, we've had... You know, the remake we were going to discuss today, a prequel to that. We've had a reboot, a prequel that goes before the original. And then another sequel this year. Honestly, do you know what? It's maybe the, the messiest timeline in horror history. Because each each sequel is a direct sequel to the original. Nothing's ever gone further than that. It's always been a direct sequel to the original. 2, 3, 4, 3D and this year's one. All directly to the original. Um, but then, you know, we've had Texas Chainsaw Massacre comic books, we've had, you know, action figures, Funko Pops, video games, uh, one coming out next year, you know, it's, it's huge. If you're a horror fan, you know Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, my history of it, personally, is this is the first ever film to scare me. Like, the first ever. Okay. Um... And that, shocking, as shocking as it is, that was actually from uh, just the DVD menu. Right. Because, of course, I wasn't uh, allowed to watch this when it got its DVD release initially, because that was very early 2000s. Uh, and I remember it was such a big deal that this film was finally released, uh, and DVDs were quite new at that point as well, and my dad brought it. Um, and... He had the menu on before I was going to go to bed. And it, the menu was just Leatherface doing the chainsaw dance. Scared the shit out of me. Absolutely scared the shit out of me. And just the image. My dad always had a poster as well. Uh, for the, the famous uh, Who Will Survive What Be Left of Them poster. In uh, our spare room in our very first house. Honestly, I couldn't even look at it. It just terrified me. And I think that's followed on with what scares me in horror films because what scares me is masks and uh you know horribly mutilated faces and such and i think it stems back from this because i mean still now i i still find leatherface terrifying scariest horror villain for me easily where did your history come from yeah. um so i'd watched all of the classics um you know friday the 13th nightmare on elm street they'd all been on tv and that's where i'd watch them hellraiser etc and texas chainsaw massacre was the one i hadn't seen because it hadn't been released and so it got released in the cinema and it was shown for the first time on television on i'm showing my age now i think it was film four but i couldn't stay up to watch it so i recorded it on a vhs watched it the next day with the lights off um shat myself <laughs> i thought it was the scariest thing i'd ever watched it was 
it felt way more intense than any of the other horror films that I'd watched because I'd mainly watched slasher films really and this one just felt so visceral Mm. and so completely different to what I had seen before um that I went out that weekend and I said to my mum I need to get this on DVD and it came out on DVD so they showed it on television it's a sort of preempt it coming out on DVD and I bought the DVD I got the poster and I've watched it so many times since and it's still to me one film that hasn't lost its ability to shock yeah um, I look at things in a different perspective now, obviously over the years, but to me, it's still a frightening film. Yeah. It's still, I still feel very uncomfortable mm-hmm. watching it. Yeah. So getting into the trivia, uh, the film's original distributor was in a bizarre series of events. It was Brian Stone, uh, Brian Stone, was it? Brian Stone. Brian Stone. Uh, distribution company, which turned out to be a mafia front operated by Louis Pirano. Uh, known as Butchie, who used the movie to loan the profits he made from Deep Throat, uh, made in 1972. In return, the production received only enough money to reimburse the investors and pay the cast and crew $405 apiece. The producers eventually discovered that Butchie had lied to them uh, about the film's profits. By the way, I'm saying Butchie, not Butcheeks, just so you know. Yeah. I'm just wary of how it sounds like that. After he was arrested on obscenity uh, charges when his role in Deep Throat was revealed, (laughs) the cast and crew filed a lawsuit against him and were awarded $25,000 each. New Line Cinema, which obtained the rights to the film from the now bankrupt Bryanston, paid off the cast and crew as part of the purchase agreement. What the fuck? (laughs) Yeah. I always always knew Deep Throat was... um... Well, uh, Mafia owned to a certain yeah. degree. <laughs> um, it's weird because obviously when we think of Mafia, we think of uh, The Godfather, The Sopranos. Mm-hmm. And then we hear like, what, film producers, uh-huh. The Mafia? Okay. Yeah, fucking insane. Um, I had no idea about this until watching uh, the Shocking Truth documentary. Highly recommend checking that out. One yeah, of the best great documentary. documentary. Great documentary. Really, and that really was on the original DVD yeah. release, so I, I'd seen it a few times. Uh, while the film's introduction is tailored to appear to be based on a series of true events, the film's plot is a complete work of fiction. The film is inspired by the murderous acts of Ed Gein, a uh, Wisconsin-based serial killer that was infamous for exhuming corpses as well as decorating his home with the body parts of the victims. Gein also uh, confessed to wearing the tan skin of women as a suit. So, as you know, We've discussed this multiple times on the podcast already. Mm-hmm. Inspiration for Psycho, uh, Silence of the Lambs, you know, so many films out there based on Ed Gein. Um, yeah, I mean, I was really under the impression, in the, the impression for the longest time that this film is seen for seeing the true story. Um, <laughs> Were you really? <laughs> so, yeah, I'm a bit of an idiot. I mean, something that, you know, worked for Blair Witch all those years later, because technically it's the same thing. They're lying to people, they're saying it's a true story. It's not. Yeah, no, it's true. And that, that's kind of a tale as old as time, isn't it, really? Dating back yeah. to bloody War of the Worlds on the radio. Um, it works. It, it always has. I mean, I mean, probably not so much now mm-hmm. because of a little thing called the internet. 
Um, but back then, you know, you would believe it. Yeah. Basically, it was a true story. Why would a film lie to you? Exactly. Why, you know, <laughs> why would it lie to you? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was under the impression of Blair Witch was real when it was first released. Oh, but when you look back at it now and you've got the internet and you, you know, you're a grown adult, you think, well, obviously they're not going to release a snuff film in a cinema, are they? Did you think Paranormal Activity was real? Of course not. Because my mum did. I mean, that was fine. Um, but <laughs> story for a different day. Uh, according to John Larroquette, uh, his payment for doing the opening narration was a marijuana joint. Toby Hooper wanted the opening narration to sound like Orson Welles, so he asked John Larroquette to uh, do his best Orson Welles whilst reading it. Toby Hooper later said, "It still sounds like John Larroquette." Yeah. <laughs> um, John Larroquette means more to Americans I feel yeah I think so I don't I think he's one of those comedians that didn't really mm -hmm. have any success over here I literally my only history with John Larroquette apart from Texas Chainsaw Massacre is that Betty David uh, Betty Davis excuse me uh, Betty White too many Betty I knew it was gonna be a Golden Girls one. Betty White <laughs> won an Emmy for playing herself in an episode of the Jan John Larroquette show. There's some extra trivia for you there. Yeah, come here for Texas Chainsaw Massacre, stay for the Golden Girls trivia. Yeah. Working titles for the film included Satin in Retrograde, Head Cheese, Stalking Leatherface, and then simply Leatherface. Come on, Texas Chainsaw Massacre is one of the best titles of all time. It, it really is. Genius. It's, it's a genius title. Um, and that tagline as well. Yeah. You know, um, incredible. The poster, mm -hmm. it's so... I always pictured what I thought the film would be from that yeah. poster. Because obviously it's the way it's edited. I always thought um, Pam was on the hook outside. And I thought it was like a Western film where he was going <laughs> around a fucking ranch killing people. Um... But yeah, I mean, so, and again, the poster terrified me. It's, you know, the idea of what would be left of the survivors, it really gets stuck in your brain. And if you haven't seen the film, it really, it's, it's scary. Yeah. What I assumed Texas Chainsaw Massacre would be from the title, the poster, the tagline, is what, pieces actually was <laughs> i thought it would be sleazy i yeah. thought it'd be so gory so ridiculous so over the top um i didn't actually think it was going to be a great film um i was wrong obviously mm. but everything screamed to me you know um gore splatterfest yeah of course ridiculous of course. like that bad acting slasher yeah. you know the company worked seven days a week, 16 hours a day in the summertime in one of Texas' notoriously brutal heat waves where the daytime temperature was over 100 degrees and later hovered at around 80 at night. I have a lot to say about the production of That's this film. That's Fahrenheit, by the way, for our... Uh... Yeah. Um, we've got a bit <laughs> you, more... You'd die if it was that high in the UK. We, uh, we've got a bit more about that coming up. Um, in the trivia, a specific sequence uh, where I'll, I'll save my bit then. Yeah, yeah, but it, it's like I said before, sweaty. Film. Yes, so sweaty. Visibly. Uh, according to Edwin Neal, who plays uh, the hitchhiker, 
Texas State Troopers actually shook his hand and thanked him for causing crime to drop 18%. Apparently, the message audiences took away from this film was do not pick up hitchhikers. There we go. I mean, he's done his bit, you know. Yeah. Great deed. Uh, Gunnar Hansen, who plays Lower Face, notes the first time he appeared on camera and how nervous he was before doing the shot. Even though it was a rubber hammer, he struck actor William Vale very hard over the head, then proceeded to roughly throw him headfirst against the wall behind him. Oh. Uh, as Daniel Pearl remembers, they were staying uh, as close to storyboards as they could for much of the production. However, the under the swing shot, if you've seen the film, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, which has become generally believed as the film's best shot. Um, I agree. Uh, it was one he and Toby Hooper came up with on the set. There was resistance against getting the shot from the producers and threats were even made. The producers threatened to fire Pearl and Hooper, uh, who threatened to walk off if they couldn't get it. In the end, compromise fell on the side of them getting it and history proceeded to be made. It's an outrageous weird... shot of an ass. Yeah, it's a weird hill to die on, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> really. Because it's such a great shot. Yeah. But even if they didn't like it, like, what difference does it really make? Like, what, what shot would they prefer to yeah. put in there? Like, from yeah. above? Mm. You know? Well, I don't get it. It's I a, mean, you know? It's, it's great. It looks so good. It is. And I always, and I'll say it now, I always thought she was topless. Yeah. Because she has a backless top on, mm -hmm. um, the way it's shot, and in, you know, in the um, stills that I saw, I always thought she was topless. Mm -hmm. I was like, why is she topless? Walking <laughs> again, you know, it's the film pieces. In yeah. my head, it was the film that pieces turned out to be. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is one of the very few uh, classic horror films that doesn't, from seventies onwards, that doesn't have nudity. No, no, it's it's uh, very considering there's couples involved. Yeah, it's very sexless. Yeah, uh, surprisingly, this film is also one of the least bloody horror films of all time. Uh, this is because Toby Hooper intended to make the movie for a PG rating uh, by keeping violence moderate, language mild, excluding nudity entirely, and having most of the horror implied off screen rather than shown in great detail on screen. However, this plan had actually backfired and made the film even more horrifying because despite cutting and repeating uh, submissions, the ratings board insisted on an X rating. Uh, it wasn't until the film received the R rating when Hooper gave up and released it. Hooper had a similar ratings problem with the sequel. The film was initially rejected by the BBFC, uh, received a limited release shortly after, banned multiple times after this, and eventually released uncut in 1999 also banned in several other countries yeah okay this film it has little to no goal that's that's correct and it's so effective for it and that, and that is genuinely why it's so scary yeah it's in many ways a kind of happy accident mm. in the sense that toby hooper wanted a pg rating i'm assuming to help his box office yeah um so got away with a lot of the things that are quite distracting in horror mm -hmm. so the sex the nudity the swearing the um drug use yes yeah. and the gore which can be quite distracting from 
the atmosphere, mm-hmm. the tension building, yeah. um, which we, you know, we see in films like Friday the 13th films, you know, and yeah. it's not always the mm-hmm. case. But I feel like if this film was more over the top, it wouldn't have been as effective. No. And that's, in many ways, quite a happy accident. Mm-hmm. Because I, 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 I don't feel like that was Toby Hooper's intention. No. And, and that's not to discredit Toby Hooper, who's a director who, in my opinion, has had a very varied history. Mm. It's not often, in my recollection, that a director's best film is their very first film. Mm. Yeah. You you think of, you know, directors that have been held in quite high esteem. Their first film, very first film, their lowest budget film, their most amateur film, and I'm not including the, the documentaries, was it Eggshells? Yeah. Eggshells. Yeah, I'm not, I, I won't include that because it's a different kettle of fish, really. Um, but their debut is their best. Yeah. I'm sure it has happened. Yeah, this is a very rare case. No, this this is. Have yeah. I got quite a margin? But also, as well. I mean, Toby Hooper thinking he was going to get a PG, whilst using that Leatherface mask, the Leatherface masks, should I say, um, and the grandpa scene. Like seriously, what the fuck are you thinking? Yeah, <laughs> there's no way this is going to get a PG. It's insane. It's yeah. It it's strange that. It's Thought crazy that, that Poltergeist happen. got a fucking PG. And that was it. I suppose he didn't have... If, if he had Steven Spielberg on his side, it well, might have yeah. worked out. Uh, Terry McMinn strongly believes that Pam escaped from the freezer and made it out alive. She thinks the character of Pam was a fighter, uh, she stated in previous interviews. Now, I mean, you know, Netflix's sequel this year, the awful one, could have been Pam. Could have been Pam. <laughs> could have been Pam. Could have been, been Pam. Pam and Sally could have teamed up. You know? They could have. They could have. Uh, speaking of Sally, uh, Marilyn Burns actually cut herself on the branches quite badly, so a little of the blood on her blood on her body and clothes is real. Yeah, again, more on that a little later. But seriously, it's, it's so unnecessary. Um, there are lines of gibberish written in the script for Leatherface. Toby Hooper would sit with Gunnar Hansen and tell him what the lines meant, and the actor had to figure out a way to say that without actually speaking. In the scene where the old man comes home and starts yelling at Leatherface about the door, Hansen remembers a take where he communicated a little too verbally. Uh, Hooper told him there was too much intelligence in the character and the shot was redone. Uh, and Hansen was good because that was his one chance to have a line. So much better, ladies and gentlemen. Yes. So, so much better. Yeah. Yeah. The, you know, the whole Michael Myers thing. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Myers is way scarier because he's silent you know yeah yeah uh after getting into the old age makeup yeah by the way john dugan uh plays grandpa in this film john dugan was 19 years old he was i believe the youngest member of cast on the set playing the oldest character yeah Yeah, that's true yeah um after getting into the makeup uh he uh, decided that he did not ever want to go through that process again uh, meaning that all the scenes of him had to be filmed in the same session before he could take the makeup off. Now that leads me to the bit I mentioned earlier about the production of this film. Because this is just ridiculous. 
this entire process took roughly 36 hours, five of which took uh, it took to put the makeup on. During a brutal summer heat wave, um, with a large portion of it spent filming the dinner scene. With him wearing a heavy suit and necktie, sitting in a room filled with dead animals and rotting food with no air conditioning or electric fans. Everyone later recalled that the stench from the rotting food and people's body odour was so terrible that some crew members passed out or became sick from the smell. Edward Neal, who played the Hitchhiker, claimed filming that scene was the worst time of my life and I had been in, and I'd been in Vietnam uh, with people trying to kill me. So uh, I guess that shows how bad it was. Yeah. Okay. So as we know, there's a few horror masterpieces out there, <clears throat> Shining, uh, where production is massively problematic. Uh, I mean, masterpieces come from it, but the production was so unnecessarily problematic. This is definitely one of those cases. Yeah, you, you definitely wouldn't get that today at all. No. I mean, what you'd probably get today is they wouldn't film in <laughs> Texas in the dead, in the middle of well, summer. yeah. It I would mean, be Canada in winter, made yeah. to look like summer. <laughs> exactly. I mean, in that same scene, Gunnar Hansen recalls shooting the sequence where they cut uh, Sally's finger and try feeding the blood to Grandpa. The tube that shot the fake blood kept clogging. And uh, finally, after several takes without the tube working right, Gunnar Hansen simply sliced Marilyn Burns' finger open. Uh, and he explained the reason was, at this point, we were insane. He proceeds to explain uh, his only desire at that point uh, in shooting was to get the film done. He didn't care about his fellow actors' well-being, and the sequence uh, was shot in the back end of this ridiculous working day. Um, he also notes that there isn't much going on in the dinner scene. <laughs> Uh, that took all this fucking effort. I mean, arguably, th I mean, there's not. Th realistically, there's, until the end of it, there's not. But it's one of the most disturbing scenes in the film. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we spoke um, on our Pink Flamingos episode about wanting to see a behind-the-scenes making of feature film mm. uh, in reminiscent of the Disaster Artist. Uh, for Pink Flamingos. Imagine one with the making of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, you don't have to imagine it because it's being made. <gasps> no. Yeah, there is one in production currently. Is there really? Uh-huh. Wow. Can you think of any other films where that would be? Because we've also got the making of The Godfather. Yeah. Uh, the Offer as a mini series. You know, we've had uh, Saving Mr. Banks. Mm -hmm. I don't think you could do that with films now could you imagine a making of you know feature about in avengers yeah it has to be a very specific type people of film. running around with dots on their face yeah on green screen it has to be a very specific type of film i mean you know something like imagine if they did one for troll 2 mm. that'd be great mm -hmm. you know um yeah because a lot of films, they just get made and that's it. Imagine if they fucking try doing one for the remake. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, we we watched the making of documentary on the remake and it wasn't particularly interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have anything more to say about that that scene, that production, the production during that day? Um, I just... I, I, I mean, I feel sorry for Marilyn Burns. I mean, she yeah. had to sit through all that. I'd scream constantly throughout all that. She... Her eyes in the film fucking hell you know they are bloodshot to shit and 
after all that, for 36 hours, she gets her fucking finger sliced open. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad we're at the point now where actors can be trusted to act. Yeah. Which, you know, it's in the name, act, <laughs> mm -hmm. act, and not be forced to go method. Yeah. Like, you know, trust that Marilyn Burns can act like she's been tied up for hours mm -hmm. in the middle of summer without actually having to leave her tied up for hours mm -hmm. on, you know, in ridiculous heat, you know? Yeah. Um, obviously, Shelley Duvall is the big... You know, one there. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad we're we're not at that point anymore. Yeah. We we sort of like, oh, oh, you're an actor. Okay. Uh -huh. Well, why don't you act like this rather yeah. than me act a fucking dickhead yeah. and force you to uh, mm -hmm. feel a certain kind of way yeah. for your performance? Absolutely. Ed Gwynn, who plays the cattle truck driver, the driver of Black Maria. <laughs> yeah. Uh, just promotions for low-budget filming businesses in Texas now. Nice. Yeah. Just, I had to include that because, I mean, what an icon. He's, yeah, it's, it's uh, we'll speak on it a bit more. <laughs> um, um, finally. It's quite iconic. Finally, in the uh, iconic scene uh, at the end of the film, the final shot of the film, Gunnar Hansen, uh, including the chainsaw dance, by the way, uh, Gunnar Hansen was directed to look frustrated and he knew stomping his feet in anger would not suffice. He changed it to swinging his chainsaw because he wanted to scare director Toby Hooper as payback uh, for the way he treated the cast during filming. Okay. And they just kept filming. <laughs> so, it, what, wasn't it was never planned. It wasn't really brought up in the Shocking Truth documentary. But do we get the impression that maybe Toby Hooper was a little cunty? Oh, sets? yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean... <laughs> There was a lot of people who didn't really like him in the documentary, and uh... but it was kind of made to look like afterwards. Mm. So all the money issues were the reason why yeah. they didn't really like Toby Hooper. Um, but I'm starting to think that mm -hmm. that you know may have been throughout filming as well. Yeah, I mean, I get the feeling that Marilyn Burns liked him. Um, yeah. Because I think Marilyn Burns, despite everything she went through, had a great time on set. Judging from the documentary, the guy who plays Franklin was fucking fuming with him because he didn't get paid up front. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, before we get into the film, what do you think the social commentary is for this film? I because I believe there's a lot. Given the time it was made, yeah, and what was going on in the world, um. And taking certain class divides into consideration as well. I, I think this is more than just a straightforward horror film. Yeah, no, I, I, I absolutely believe that. Um, I think any film kind of made around that time is... In, in America, mm. is kind of a reflection on the Vietnam War. Yeah. The divide... Uh, within America because of the Vietnam War. Um, I believe that in many ways, similar to Pink Flamingos, I think, you know, it's quite a coincidence that we've spoken about these um, in within the same week. Mm -hmm. Because I also think hippie culture yeah. 
and post Charles Manson yeah, yeah. is a huge influence. Yeah. Um, you have a character like Pam, mm -hmm. who's very sort of um, hippie-ish. Yeah. They all are, really. Yeah, really. Apart yeah. from maybe Franklin, oh. they all come across as kind of hippie-ish. Almost um, Scooby-Doo, Mr. Gang mm -hmm. kind of uh, feel yeah. to them. Um, and I think it's a reflection on maybe the um naivety of the hippie culture yeah and the kind of happy-go-lucky you know free peace and love mm. and how the vietnam war or mm. just kind of life in general yeah isn't all sunshine, lollipops and rainbows. Yeah, absolutely. Very much like Pink Flamingos did. Yeah, because I mean, because then, you know, we, unlike Pink Flamingos, where you see it from the get-go, you know, with this, we see their naivety. We see them for a while before they stumble upon what's going down with this family. Um, and then obviously it's such a massive shock to them when they first pick up the hitchhiker. And then, you know, obviously it's a massive shock to them and one of them gets killed and whatnot. It, it it does read as you know them kind of ignore blissfully ignoring it and then being forced to face it. Yeah, and then I I think there's a lot to say here about class divides as well, especially with the family being within Texas. Um, and you know there's obviously a lot of hillbilly stereoty stereotypes and such. I'm sure that would have been in place back then as well. Whereas these big city kids. You know, all dressed nice and everything, happy-go-lucky kids. Do you see what I mean? It's, yeah, no, you absolutely. Know, I think that's definitely Toby Hooper trying to show us class divides through this. Which, if you look really deep into it, there's probably something cut with that. Um, because, you know, not everyone fits into that stereotype uh, in Texas. But, um, yeah, no, I think it's a really clever way of showing it. And it, it really works. Yeah, a lot of horror deals with isolation and the fear of people who are isolated. Yeah. Um, I like a sort of a inquisitive nature as to oh, what are they up to? I bet they're mm -hmm. up to something really horrible. And, you know, serial killers, the majority of them in film are loners. Yeah. You know, it's people in isolation and you going into their space or them attacking mm -hmm. your space um, in within some films. Mm. I think it's very interesting. I, I think it's a very sort of deliberate yeah. thing. Especially means there's two ways to look at this because, I mean, realistically, you know, Leatherface is just at home minding his own, his own business. Mm. And these people come breaking into his house, you know, tripping over things and everything. And he's defending his house. Yeah. You know, to yeah. the extreme, but yeah, it's there's so many ways you can look at this film, and yeah. you know it's a great film when that's possible. Yeah, it's it's that naivete of the hippie culture mm. where the, the assumption is that everything's going to be fine, yeah. or everything is okay, you know, or everyone can be trusted, mm -hmm. or not everyone can be trusted. Yeah, which a lot of horror is based around that. Mm -hmm. The fear of the unknown, yeah, um, making itself 
known. You know, the fear of you just living your everyday life and the horror of human nature, mm -hmm. you know, coming out of nowhere. Yeah. And you don't know how to deal with it. That's really scary. And for me, that's probably what was most scary about this film. Yeah. Because something like A Nightmare on Elm Street, when it's based in fantasy, mm -hmm. stuff like Dracula or stuff like Friday the 13th, even, mm. that feels very um, separate from yeah. me, um, feels quite fantastical, mm. you know, that doesn't scare me. It entertains me. Trust yeah. and believe. It entertains me. But it doesn't necessarily scare me the same way that Texas Chainsaw Massacre scared mm -hmm. me. Because however ridiculous the idea of me in the middle of Coventry, in the middle of the West Midlands in the UK, being scared of a chainsaw-wielding maniac, mm -hmm. that's not necessarily the point. No. The point is the fear of me going about my everyday not knowing that death is around the corner, mm. which very morbid but you know we are talking horror films so it's okay. yeah <laughs> and that brings us to our first feature presentation what happened was true the most bizarre and brutal series of crimes in america the texas chainsaw massacre even if one of them survives what will be left the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. After you stop screaming, you'll start talking about it. Rated R. So we get, as we discuss, the opening scroll narrated yeah. by John Larroquette. Um, quite iconic. It is. Before Star Wars. Yeah. But obviously with very much different intentions. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, and we're introduced to Sally Hardesty, her paraplegic brother Franklin, and their friends, Jerry, Kirk, and Pam. And they're visiting the grave of the Hardesty's grandfather to investigate reports of vandalism and grave robbing. Yeah, first shot of this film. Fantastic. Oh my god, it's horrifying. Um, just the corpse on the grave, holding the head. So scary. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, the corpse isn't dancing. No. You don't see the corpse being placed there. No. But it's a horrifying image. Yeah. And that's what the Texas Chainsaw Massacre does. It creates horrifying images. Mm. Which is groundbreaking at the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the next day, when you're thinking about the film, it sticks with you. But you also probably remember it being more horrific yeah. than it actually was. Uh -huh. Because of suggestion and 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 such. Yeah. You know? Um the characters themselves, now you won't hear me say this very often because I've had numerous rants on the podcast about the lack of character development mm -hmm. in horror films, but there's not a huge amount of character development mm -hmm. for these teens. No. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. And I'm okay with that because I feel like because the film goes so fast. Mm -hmm. It really does. It feels yeah. like it goes so it fast because it's so visceral. Mm -hmm. Because its intention is to scare the pants off of you. Character development 
and being able to um what's the word i'm looking for relate yeah. to the characters isn't necessarily necessary mm -hmm. what is necessary is you feeling that these are everyday people yeah. in a hor horrifying mm -hmm. circumstance so actually not stere giving them stereotypical characters not you know delving too deep into their history mm -hmm. makes them somewhat more relatable yeah in terms of what the film's trying to do does Absolutely. that make yeah, sense it does, it does it does make sense you know you yeah. you do care about these people wow but <laughs> mostly <laughs> but you you care about them because you understand that they are people who have stumbled upon a horrifying situation mm -hmm. and they're being picked off one by one and do you know what i mean yeah yeah um so afterwards they decide to visit the old hardesty family homestead along the way they pick up a hitchhiker who talks about his family who worked at the old slaughterhouse he borrows franklin's pocket knife and cuts himself and then takes a single Polaroid picture of Franklin, for which he demands money. Um, iconic line delivery. There's a few of them. It's a good picture. <laughs> this. Oh, am I being stupid? What are you doing to yourself? What are you doing to yourself? That's the one. <laughs> also, a line from Pink Flamingos when the guys wank him. Um, that is so no true. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of connections. Yeah, so many connections. I didn't even know. <laughs> Uh, when they refuse to pay him, he burns the photo and slashes Franklin's left arm with a straight razor. The group forces him out of the van and drive on. She blows raspberries at the van. <laughs> <laughs> they stop at a gas station to refill their vehicle, but the proprietor tells them that the pumps are empty. Um, there's also an iconic scene that I didn't include, but I probably should have. Um, where Franklin, as a sort of four, <laughs> it's kind of a foreboding, isn't it? You know, we talk about the foreboding in Halloween. It's it's a crime that we didn't mention. But it's yet. foreboding in when Franklin's having a piss <laughs> in like a tin can by the side of the road, and who knows what happens? But a big van goes past, and it unsettles his wheelchair, and he goes rolling down a hill. And it's 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 funny because Franklin's such an annoying character. Yeah. But it's you know it's a bit of foreboding for what's going to come. If you pause at the right moment, you'll get both a brief glimpse at his Willie, but also you'll be able to see his paycheck in his pocket as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they continue toward the homestead, intending to return to the gas station once it has received a fuel delivery. Um, what's interesting is that the proprietor, um, spoiler alert, despite actually being one of the villains, mm. tells them they don't really want to be going around there. Yeah, yeah. Um, doesn't really explain himself because mm -hmm. he's in a horror film. Um, but it, it is kind of, you know, if they had listened to him, mm. if they had, as youths, believed the older generation... Mm -hmm then it could have saved them. Yeah. But also remembering that the older generation are the enemies. Yeah. So there's some layers there. Yeah. Um, Franklin's been a really fucking whiny bitch. 
Fair play to Toby Hooper for including a disabled character and not making him purposely sympathetic. Uh, and instead making him one of the most unlikable characters in horror history. It's not often you see that. Yeah, and it, it, he's... Makes him, it, it makes him more human. It doesn't feel patronising, you know. Whereas a lot of films, he would have to, automatically, he'd have to be the most likable character. Um, to a certain degree. Or his, um, his whininess would be in relation to his disability. Yeah. And it's really not. No, he's just an arsehole. He's just, he's just an arsehole. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, when they arrive, Franklin tells Kirk and Pam about a local swimming hole, and the couple go to find it. Um, horrible scene in this house where there's all the spiders yeah. in the corner. If you don't yeah. like spiders, it's horrible. Again, foreboding. Also, a horrible scene where he's uh, chewing on something he got from the wing. gas station. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you'd think so, but he got it from the gas station. Oh, who knows what it was. It looks a lot like a cock. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure he's chewing on a cock here. Yeah. I think it's a chicken wing. And he's so <laughs> angry. And he goes inside this house. He wheels himself inside this house. He starts blowing raspberries everywhere because everyone's having so much fun. And he's like, come on, Franklin. It's going to be a fun trip. <laughs> don't have any more fun today. I'm going to be able to take it. And then he starts <laughs> blowing raspberries yeah. similar to the <laughs> hitchhiker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just shut the fuck up. <laughs> but I, I think it also helps in us um, connecting a little more to Sally, who, again, doesn't get a huge amount of character development, mm -hmm. but you can sense that at being Franklin's sister, yeah. she's had to put up with this bullshit for many <laughs> years. Yeah, and he was method acting, by Which, the way, yeah. this entire time. He yes. never got out of character. He never switched off. Um, but you can tell Sally's kind of fed up of it and because he's so annoying we relate to Sally in that sense Yeah. because Sally is ultimately the one that we have to really yeah. get behind uh -huh. um, Pam and Kirk they stumble upon a nearby house whilst looking for this local swimming hole the swimming hole is dried up yeah. You know, there's no water, there's no nothing. Um I, I don't I don't want to look too much into it, but it's also you know, it's like in the middle of the desert, you go to find water, yeah. you're stranded yeah. and there's nothing. It's also Franklin leading them to their death. Um, it is actually <laughs> Franklin leading them to their death. That is very true. Um well the so real villain half, here, tr half true. Because they are nosy bastards as well. <laughs> um, they stumble upon a nearby house and Kirk calls out for gas, entering through the unlocked door while Pam waits outside. Um, so Kirk just goes in to someone else's mm -hmm. house. He, you know, free-spirited, thinks everything's going to be okay. Um, and it's not. No. Because Leatherface, a large mute man wearing a mask made from human skin, suddenly appears and kills Kirk with a hammer. This is a strange one because it's not a jump scare necessarily. No. It's not a cheap jump scare, but it feels like a cheap jump scare because it scares the crap out of I, you. I don't know what to describe this as because it is... Definitely within the top five scariest scenes of all time. Yeah. You imagine watching this in 1974. Like, 
just that happening, just out of nowhere. Yeah. You wouldn't know what to fucking say. You, you really wouldn't. I mean, you know, the way when Kirk drops to the ground and he's still like, you know, he's fidgeting on like constantly like he looks like he's been hitting the head of the hammer yeah performance is fantastic so the idea is that part of his skull has gone into yeah. his brain yeah um and then you know to drag him off and slam that door you can only imagine what's going on behind that door yeah. you, you know it's only in your imagination and that is so much scarier than seeing him hacked up Exactly. To pieces, exactly. and do you know what? As much as the original, uh, as much as the remake goes very over the top, this scene is also one of the things that gets really right. Yeah, which we'll get to yeah. when it comes to it. But you know, yeah, for this original though, that is one of the most unpredictable, unexpected, and scariest moments in horror history. Yeah, and it, it's it's not over the top. It's a you know an acting choice that makes it. So mm. much more yeah. than if he just whacked him and if he fell. Mm. Um, yeah, you know, you've probably seen it, and this is this is probably where the difference lies in people's opinions, because I watched this film at a fairly young age, and I hadn't watched too many horror films. Mm-hmm. I'd seen the classics. But I hadn't seen all, you know, I hadn't seen all of them. I hadn't seen much modern horror. Yeah. Yeah, I'd seen all the the classic ones. And I think people who have come to this film quite late, Mm -hmm. maybe after seeing the remake, you know, which is why some people voted for the remake. But after seeing so many films that were influenced by this, because it's a hugely influential Uh film, seeing so many of those films before watching this, it can kind of take away from the horror and yeah. because it's like, well, oh, I, oh, I kind of knew that was going to happen mm. or I'd seen a clip online or, you know, I'd watched the kill count before watching mm-hmm. the actual film in full. So it takes away some of it. Yeah. Um, so I, I do understand that. Yeah. Um, Pam, who is on a swing out there, in the garden Mm -hmm. um stands up after hearing and and walks over and this is the iconic shot it is shot it is of her backside uh, as she's walking towards the house controversial shot controversial (laughs) shot um i mean it looks fantastic but it also you know it implies you know fear yeah you know it's uh, the house looks big and daunting does yeah in the background um she another iconic line delivery. Let's go. <laughs> I want to go. Let's go. <laughs> um, she enters the house after uh, Kirk doesn't answer her. Yeah. She trips into a room filled with furniture made from human bones. Um, she is, may I add, a vegetarian. She is, which makes this even more effective. She's. Feathers flying, birds in cages, bones everywhere. Uh, she throws up and then attempts to flee, but Leatherface catches her and impales her on a meat hook, making her watch as he butchers Kirk with a chainsaw. Yep. Now that sounds a lot more graphic than it actually is. Yep. It's graphic. Mm-hmm. You know, you see her on, on the, the hook and, and everything. Um, 
one of the, I shouldn't probably shouldn't laugh at. Um, but when he grabs her as she's running out of the house, those flip flops go fucking <laughs> flying. <laughs> so funny. Stuff like that always makes me laugh. What is is it Shangela when she did the lip sync and the shoe went flying in the air? <laughs> so always cracks me up. Those flip flops, they go. They're like, we're fucking out of here, mate. See ya. Um yeah, and another iconic scene again, you know, when I first watched it, I was convinced you saw her you saw the hook going through. Yeah. Because it the sound effect, oh my god, you know, you feel like you've seen it. But it, you don't. Mm. You you don't see it go through. Um, but this entire sequence, the first time I watched it, I genuinely scared the shit out of me. Yeah. Yeah. No, abs- absolutely. So effective. Um, Jerry heads out to look for Pam and Kirk at sunset. He sees, he sees the house and finds Pam still alive inside a freezer. Uh, great jump scare, actually. Yes. Maybe a little cheap, but you know, it was 1974, you're allowed. If, you, if you're inventing these jump scares, you're allowed to do it. Uh, before he can react, Leatherface kills him mm-hmm. with a hammer blow to the head. Uh, which I'm surprised killed him, considering that big mass of hair on his head. <laughs> <laughs> surprised he get lost in that. Yeah. Uh, with darkness falling, Sally and Franklin set out <laughs> to find their friends. Specifically Jerry. Specifically Jerry, because it's never really implied too much. But I'm assuming Jerry and Sally are in some sort of relationship. I think he fancies her. I don't know if they're in a potential relationship. Obviously, um, she's oh my god, the first final girl, one of the the, first final, the first final girl. Um, so she's obviously a virgin. Yeah. Um, she didn't kiss anyone or anything like (laughs) that. Um, yeah, iconic line delivery. Would you like me to do it? (laughs) Yeah, you can do... Jerry! Jerry! (laughs) (laughs) Jerry! Jerry! (laughs) But they're just shouting him, you know. Fuck Pam and Kirk's drag. Just Jerry. (laughs) Now, being the... Well, he's not really a dickhead. I don't really know. I don't really get to know Jerry too much. Oh, nothing. No, no, no. Being... uh, Jerry kept the keys to the van. He did. Asshole. Um, so Sally and Franklin, they have to set out to find them. As they near the neighbouring house and call out, Leatherface lunges from the darkness and kills Franklin with a chainsaw. Yeah. Um, yeah, another great jump scare. Mm -hmm. Um. Deserved kill. I was going to say, you please see Franklin. (laughs) Thank God. Um. Sally then runs toward the house and finds the desiccated remains of an elderly couple upstairs. Um, So from the moment that Leatherface jumps out and kills Franklin, this film is relentless. It is, yeah. And this is why it's so effective Mm -hmm. because you kind of build up and you know the danger and you see the kills and they're kind of short shocking moments yes yeah. and you, you're kind of there and you're sort of like oh we've got a lot of this film left now so, mm-hmm. you know it's not a short film barely is it, does it reach hour and a half barely but it's still feature length yeah and from the moment franklin dies it's just balls to the wall yeah and just keeps going 
keeps going until the end. Yeah. There's no really giving up. Um, there's a moment before this, actually, I forgot to mention, um, after, I think it's after Jerry's killed, where Leatherface just wanders around his house, like, looking lost, and then just sits down and just stares into the camera. For me, that is up there as one of the scariest moments of the film. Mm-hmm. I, I could never, I mean, I don't know if it's because of my fear of, like, the masks and stuff like that, but there's something about that scene that always gives me shivers every time I watch it. Just, like, you don't know what he's thinking, just staring. It's, like, really, really creepy. Yeah, and I suppose it's, it's because he doesn't speak. Yeah. And it's kind of implied that he's just, um, he he's kind of just as scared as they are in terms yeah. of people coming into his environment. He's not used to people, very isolated, mm. very kind of animalistic. Yeah. Um, which makes the kills seem even more kind of pointless. Mm. Which I think adds to the scariness. Yeah. Because there is no reasoning behind it. You know, you watch something like uh, Scream mm. and, you know, there's a... Re- might not be the brightest of uh, reasonings behind it, mm-hmm. but there's reasonings behind it and it all sort of comes together and kind of makes sense. But in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre... Mm. There's no reason, there's no rhyme or reason for it. No. These people, they're just in the wrong, you know, wrong place. Yeah. Um, it worked for Halloween. You know, by yeah. the end, we don't know that Laurie and Michael are brother and sister. Mm-hmm. So it's just, uh, Laurie is a victim of circumstance, which to me, personally, is really fucking scary. Yeah. Because despite, you know, you're more likely to be killed by someone you know. Mm-hmm. What scares me is the unknown. Yeah. And these kind of films play into that. Um, she So she runs towards the house. She finds the elderly couple upstairs. Uh, she escapes from Leatherface by jumping through a second floor window. And she flees to the gas station. The proprietor calms her with offers of help. But then he ties her up gags her and forces her into his truck. He drives to the house, arriving at the same time as the hitchhiker, now revealed as Leatherface's brother. The hitchhiker recognises Sally and taunts her. Some more iconic line delivery. Look what your brother did to the door! Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah, you know, again, Sally, a victim of circumstance. And we realise that they're all in it together. And she pretty much had no chance because yeah. we've not seen anyone else really, mm-hmm. apart from this sort of. Was there a sheriff at the beginning? No, no. I think you're thinking of Psycho. <laughs> no, no. When they were, oh, they were no, talking to the yeah, guy about to the, uh, the, the um, grave. Yeah, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, there was then. Yeah, but you know, we haven't seen him for a long time, no, so it's no. this isolation, and we now realise yeah. that only Sally can save herself. Yeah. Um, so the men torment, torment the bound and gagged Sally, while Leatherface, now dressed as a woman, serves dinner. So this is the 36-hour yes. stinky, pukey uh, mm-hmm. filming scene. Um, Marilyn Burns' screams gone down in 
horror cinema history. Yeah. Would you say the most iconic screams on film? Uh, I think Jamie Lee Curtis might have taken that. But it's up there. Yeah, they were up there. I mean, it doesn't stop. No. It, it doesn't R- relentless. stop. I'm surprised yeah. that she didn't like, burst a blood vessel in her eye. You know, the amount of time she spends mm. screaming. Um, Leatherface and the Hitchhiker bring down one of the desiccated bodies from upstairs. That of their grandpa. He is revealed to be alive when he sucks blood from a cut on Sally's finger. They decide that Grandpa, the best killer in the old slaughterhouse, should kill Sally. He tries to hit her with a hammer, but he is too weak. Um, a scene and... that I think Toby Hooper intended to be comedic. Yeah, yeah. I, I put down one of the most noticeable moments of black comedy. Um, Toby Hooper felt audiences missed. Mm. Um, <laughs> I mean, for me, it's one of the most disturbing, but okay, go off. <laughs> it's a weird, it's a weird thing. And, you know, no, no offence to Toby Hooper. He's not my favourite director. Um, but again, it kind of feels like he didn't really make the film he intended no. to make. So it's kind of like, how much credit can we <laughs> give Toby Hooper? <laughs> because if he was intended to make a PG-rated black comedy... Um, I, I hate to break it to you, you did not make no. a PG-rated black comedy. You made a fucking scary horror masterpiece. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, you know, do we give credit to Toby Hooper <laughs> or just the people around him? Yeah. <laughs> um, in the ensuing struggle, she breaks free, leaps through a window and flees to the road. Leatherface and a hitchhiker give chase but the latter is run over and killed by a passing truck. Black um, Maria. The Black Maria. Leatherface attacks the truck with his chainsaw, and when the driver stops to help, he knocks Leatherface down with a pipe wrench, <laughs> causing the chainsaw to cut his leg. Um, a weirdly comedic scene, actually. Um, now, not obviously not when you first watch it. The driver flees to God knows where, and Sally escapes in the back of a passing pickup truck, as Leatherface maniacally flails his chainsaw in the air in anger and defeat. Yeah. Um, perfect ending. Perfect. Perfect ending. She, you know, Marilyn Burns, I'm surprised she didn't have a bigger career than she yeah. did. Because she really puts in a great performance mm-hmm. um, with this part of the film. So after Franklin's death, it's her film. Yeah. And she puts in a fantastic performance. You really feel for her. She goes balls to the wall. And it's not hammy. Mm -hmm. um, But she goes balls to the wall, screaming, crying, hysterical, which is exactly what you need. Because, bitch, that's what we would be like in that circumstance. You know? Yeah. She gets put through it. She gets put through the ringer. She's running through the woods, getting scratched. Yeah. You know, and um, by all accounts, she had a great time. She seemed like, in interviews, she's always seemed like quite a happy-go-lucky. Mm. You know, unfortunately, she, she passed away in 2014. Um, but I do, you know, I, I kind of wish she did have a, a bigger career than yeah. she did, because she was in Eaten Alive as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, just, a, a, you know, and the ending, leaving it quite open. Yeah. But also satisfying if it was just its own film. She survived. Yeah, she survived. So, yeah, satisfying in that Marilyn... Uh, Marilyn Burns. Sally Hardesty survived. But also not satisfying 
in the fact that Leatherface and, you know, the older brother yeah. survived. Mm, so true. you could be next. Yeah. And, you know, obviously, if you are one of the first films in a subgenre, slasher films, some people may agree or disagree, um, you can kind of not have to abide by those rules. Yeah. Whereas as we continue through mm-hmm. slasher film and horror film history, not in the remake, actually. Um, no. But a satisfying ending is um, top priority. Yes. So that now brings us to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003, directed by Marcus Nispel, uh, who directed Pathfinder, Frankenstein 2004, Friday the 13th 2009, Conan the Barbarian 2011, and The Asylum. Uh, So definitely tapped in for more remakes after that. Uh, He's also responsible for music videos for Aretha Franklin, Sheila E., Mariah Carey, Faith No More, En Vogue, George Michael, Eternal, Wet Wet Wet, Lisa Stansfield, Alton John, Janet Jackson, Cher, No Doubt, Spice Girls, B-52s, and lots more. Most iconic, Ronan Keating's Life oh, is well, a Roller Coaster. I mean, there is that as well. <laughs> Written by Scott Kozer, who wrote The Machinist, uh, The Amateur Horror 2005, The Craces 2010, Episodes of Bates Motel, The Haunting of Hill House, Monsterland, and Chapel Wake. Made on a budget of $9.5 million and made $107.3 million at the box office. Wow. Yeah. Um, so the writer wrote, just wrote remakes? Well, mostly, <laughs> mostly. Is that all he did? Um, history with this one, I watched it near when it first came out, uh, when I was first getting into films properly. And surprised by how great it was. Yeah, I uh, chose to watch all of the um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre films. So I watched, I did a bit of a marathon one day. One, two, three, four, and then the remake. And I think watching it directly after four... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> helped my appreciation but you know i was pleasantly surprised and still am pleasantly surprised because yes i was one of those people and still kind of am that struggles with modern horror but also really fucking struggles with remakes of well horror films. i mean when you say struggles with modern horror i mean we could both agree it's improved a lot in the last few years yeah but i mean i i did yeah i did struggle with modern uh-huh. horror um, yeah, over the last few years, it's, I think more, and this is absolutely nothing to do with tangent, uh, nothing to do with Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but I think since meeting you, Gary, mm-hmm. I've broadened my horror film viewing. Yeah. And there's a lot of horror films that I wouldn't choose to watch. So we say it has gotten better, the hereditary... The Midsummer, mm-hmm. the Get Out, and you Elevated know, horror. what? Elevated horror. Elevated horror, <laughs> and they're fantastic. But we've also watched a lot of shit horror oh, yeah. as well that I wouldn't necessarily have chosen to watch. I'm thinking the Grudge remake. Um, yeah. Well, uh, no, not that's not a remake. Not the Sarah Michelle Gellar one. <laughs> yeah. Or oh, whatever, the Jackie Weaver, Jackie Weaver one. Grudge. It was shit. It was awful. <laughs> I would never have chosen to watch it. So, 
when I say struggle with modern horror, you know, it's it's those kind of films. Yeah. Because yeah. there's a lot of it, you know. It's, there it's is. A, it's a saturated it's, market. To be honest, it, it's a miracle that this film is as good as it is, especially after watching the documentary for it. I mean, <clears throat> the original film, you know, a bit of a problematic production and whatnot, but fucking hell, so much sincerity went into making that original film. The people in charge of making this film thought they made fucking Citizen Kane. They did, they did. Oh my God. They take themselves so seriously to the point it becomes cringy to watch. A little bit. Michael Bay yeah. literally spoke the exact words. Well, uh, you know, after I showed the initial trailer, I'd made a profit before even writing a page of the script. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> you couldn't believe... That you made a profit before writing a page of a script for a Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. Are yeah. you fucking serious? He d he did kind of feel like the premise of the film sold it rather than the fact that it was a remake of a, a highly yeah. successful yeah. horror classic. Oh my god, fucking nightmare. Like, he, yeah. The least said about Michael Bay, the better. Um, but, like, even other members of the, of the crew and that, like, just... Acting like they've created this franchise, like they, like they created this idea. No, this is a fucking remake. What are you doing? They they really took it so seriously. <laughs> yeah. Getting into the trivia, uh, Kirsten Dunst, Katie Holmes and Jessica Alba are all considered for the role of Erin, played by Jessica Biel. They all make sense. Yeah. Uh, despite uh, becoming a distinguished actor in the years since he narrated the original, John Larroquette happily agreed to reprise his role for this remake. What, what for? The narration. I, I bet he got no. <laughs> I bet he got money this time. And yeah, not just yeah, I bet he did. <laughs> um, so the scene where the hitchhiker shoots herself in the mouth uh, was cut severely to avoid an NC-17 rating. The original scene has a hear, her ear flying off, um, blood and brain matter going everywhere, and it was more dark in colour uh, and more in amount flying out of the head. Um, it's not the only scene as well. There's a few scenes in the trivia that have been cut because of an NC-17 rating. Mm. It does go all out. I mean, even the scene they left in with the hitchhiker is still really graphic. Yeah, like you said earlier, it's definitely a more is more mentality. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it's very much in keeping with the style of horror in the early 2000s. Yeah. Um, in just the sense that to keep an audience interested, like I've said before in this episode, the original doesn't white cut it in terms of mm -hmm. what a modern horror, a modern horror audience mm -hmm. wanted in 2003 yeah. so they couldn't do a straight up remake no and no. you know not make those changes yeah Leatherface is played by Andrew Bronowski uh, who personally asked Michael Bay for the role at a Christmas party oh. this guy in the interview in the documentary fuck me I was Born to play this role. I was born to wear the mask. I had to. I created this backstory in my head. Oh, shut the fuck up. You're playing Leatherface. Jesus Christ. <laughs> and you're really good at it. I, you, you know, you do a great job. Fucking hell. Come on. You're not getting any Oscars for it. It is one of those weird things. And 
Maybe Gunnar Hansen could be uh, accused of being guilty of it as well in uh, sort of playing up the role that's much bigger <laughs> than it actually was. I think there's more to do here than something like Jason Voorhees. Because, um, you know, you do get to see bits of his face and you have to portray a lot of emotion in the role. Yeah. Um, do you know who's really guilty of that? Kane Hodder. Kane Hodder. <laughs> it's really guilty. With all due respect. Obviously, I, you know. But a lot of the time, these people are employed because of their stature. Yeah, I mean, both of these had to do way more acting than Kane Hodder does in, in the Friday yeah. 15th films. Yeah. Um, Andrew Brunowski also ate a diet of brisket and white bread to get his weight to 300 pounds. Oh. Dolph Lundgren was first considered to play Leatherface. Oh, wow. <laughs> he turned the role down so he could spend more time with his family. Okay. Um, yeah, sure, Jan. Is that the excuse actors give? <laughs> I mean, can you imagine Dolph Lundgren? <laughs> Not really. Um, the scene in the van where uh, Morgan has to put a gun in his mouth and reenact the suicide scene uh, took 25 takes and Jonathan Tucker made himself throw up every time he stuck the gun in his mouth. The director on the documentary claims that this is one of the great this is one of the greatest moments of his life. He exact words. Say that. He did what the say fuck that. is wrong with you? Seriously. Like... Get fuck. <laughs> Get out of here. In the original script, um, the scene where Jedediah, the child, is helping uh, Aaron and Morgan ha escape from the house, uh, it originally led to Leatherface killing Jedediah by slicing his chainsaw through his back. But it was cut as the filmmakers thought it would be too intense. Why? Well, why is that too intense? You freaking include everything else in this film. There's a child being murdered well, on still. the screen. You don't get that very often. Another NC-17 rating cut. Uh, is Morgan's death, where he gets a chainsaw to the gooch. Uh, the original version of the scene featured the shot um, of the chainsaw... Chainsaw? Coleslaw. The chainsaw covered in coleslaw. Uh, going into his crotch and then having intestines and blood falling out of him. This uh, The cut version cuts away when the chainsaw is about to cut him and totally cuts out the intestines falling from his body. Yeah, so this is definitely going for the polar opposite of the original yeah. film. And um, finally, in a deleted epilogue scene, Erin is being interviewed from a mental institution where she's been living for the several decades after the events of the first of this film. Uh, the subplot harkens back to two persistent rumours about the original film. In one rumour, the supposed true-life survivor of the original actual events spent her subsequent years in a mental facility. The second rumour uh, alleges that filming was so uh, ridiculous and over the top that Marilyn Burns, who played the original Survivor, went insane and was committed after shooting. Obviously, not true. No. Um, yeah. I don't, think. <laughs> I don't think it's true. No, no. Um, I suppose after, like we mentioned before, Shelley Duvall. Yeah. That's, yeah, I'm quite glad they've done that. Yes. Yeah, do that. Uh, so, it's time for our second feature presentation. The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths. <laughs> for them, an idyllic summer afternoon... Is anybody home? ...became a nightmare. The events of that day were one of the most bizarre crimes of American history. 
the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Rated R. We open on crime scene footage and the narration from John Larroquette. And uh, then we cut to August 18th, 1973, where five young adults, Erin, a boyfriend Kemper, and their friends Morgan, Andy, and Pepper are on their way to a uh, Leonard Skinner. It's, it's, do you know what? I've never known how to say that guy's name. Leonard, <laughs> Leonard Skinner. <laughs> Leonard Skinner. Thank you. So it's how it looks. So it's a band called Leonard I, I'm Skinner. I'm aware. I know who they are. I know their songs. I know. It's not I've Principal just... Seymour Skinner. <laughs> I've just always, I don't know, just thought it was I suppose you, if you've never heard it out loud. But I have in the film. We just watched it. <laughs> Did they say Leonard yeah. Skinner? I knew there was a reference to, I hope they play Freebird. <laughs> Like imagine, <laughs> like fucking uh, imagine if you pay to go and see Leonard Skinner that they didn't play Freebird. Fucking fuming. <laughs> Name me one of the Leonard Skinner songs. Sweet Home Alabama. Is that them? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you know more than me then. <laughs> um. Yeah, they're going to one of their concerts after traveling to Mexico to purchase marijuana. <gasps> dun, whilst dun, dun. Uh, whilst driving through Texas, the group picks up a distraught and severely traumatized hitchhiker. They see walking in the middle of the road and they try to talk to the hitchhiker uh, who speaks incoherently about a bad man. She pulls a loaded revolver from in between her legs and shoots herself in the fucking mouth. Yeah. So and that's the point where you're like, okay, yeah. this isn't going for uh, minimalism. <laughs> um, it does that classic horror thing and it's it's the first of two times that it does it. Where she's telling them, don't go, I don't want to go there, go in the opposite direction. But doesn't explain herself as to why. Yeah. But I suppose if she's traumatised, then she's not going to get everything out coherently, is she? No, I suppose not. But, I mean, I mean, she ends up shooting herself in the head. If she had explained herself a little better, <laughs> then... They probably could have prevented that happening and also the rest of the film happening. And we wouldn't have a film. So. <laughs> we wouldn't have a film. Uh, the group goes to a nearby gas station to contact the police where a woman named Luda May uh, tells them to meet Sheriff Hoyt at the old Crawford Mill. So the difference here between here and the original is in the original, you know, the cook tries to steer them away from danger. Yeah. The family in this one, they, they want them to go there. They want to fucking murder these yeah. people. Yeah, the cook in the original, he's kind of, he's a weird character because he does find enjoyment in the killing, but also states that he doesn't. Yeah. Um, but eventually he does. So he's, he's a weird sort of um, character. Whereas in this one, everyone's out for blood. Yeah. Essentially, yeah. and this you know this fits with a lot of stereotypes that were created in the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, I mean, even though you know the the cook tells them not to go there, the talking to an old man at a gas station been done so many times since then. You know, so many things in both of these films have been done multiple times in other films, but a lot of the time. Those films don't understand why it was so effective in the original. Sometimes it works, but sometimes it's just a case of using stereotypes because they exist. Oh, the stereotype of the sort of backwards hill. Yeah, 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 yeah. And oh god, and stumbling yeah. upon somewhere, and 
you know, the original made it effective, but so many films have ripped it off since. And but I mean, this is a remake, so it has every right to do it. So can't uh, can't complain that it's been lazy. It is remaking the film that created these uh, tropes. Yeah, and it, it it's interesting to have a female bad guy in this. Yeah, which you didn't have in the original. No. No. Uh, when they go to uh, to the location she tells them to go to, they find a young boy named Jedediah. Um, or as he says it, Jedediah. Yeah. I, um... I... I don't... I don't know how to word this without insulting someone who potentially I've never met or never will meet. Um... He looked he, strange. Now, I know sometimes kids look a bit goofy, um, but I don't know if he had any sort of prosthetics. You do know he was wearing fake teeth. Oh, was he? Okay, <laughs> okay. Oh god, this guy's been in a few things. He was in uh, Drawbit Taylor and Owen Wilson. Yeah, there's certain actors that I feel really sorry for because they well, they are kind of. Um, Employed for looking weird. Well, oddly enough, I think he started getting typecast for playing like nerdy, bullied characters. Yeah, I can rather imagine. than strange little uh, kids in horror films. Yeah, but I, I can imagine, you know, like the Shermanator, yeah. like typecast into that kind of role. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, he tells him that Hoyt is at home getting drunk. Uh, Aaron and Kemper go through the woods to find his house, leaving Morgan, Andy, and Pepper at the mill with Jedediah. Uh, they come across a plantation house and Erin is allowed inside by an amputee named Old Monty to uh, call for help. Kemper goes inside to look for Erin and is killed by Thomas Hewitt, also known as Leatherface, who hits him with a sledgehammer which sprays blood on a nearby television. He then drags his body into the basement to make a new mask and slams the door behind him. Now, I think this scene is... Equally as effective, but in a modern from from a modern horror perspective, because it's not your traditional jump scare, in the way that when he's crouching down by the TV, and you see Leatherface behind him, there's no noise. Mm. If that was you know most films that have come after this that use cheap jump scares, like you hear a big noise as soon as you see something, it, it takes you a few seconds to process it. Yeah, when he just jumps out of nowhere, silence, complete silence. And then wax him on the head. You know, it's, yeah, it's a really great jump scare. And again, you know, the slamming of the door, it works in the same way. Yeah, what I also think works as well is with a lot of horror, you can tell who's going to last the longest mm. because of who's the most famous in the cast. So in this instant, you have, you know... Um, Oh my god, what is her name? Jessica Beale. Jessica Beale, who was the most famous. And you, yeah. you knew she was going to be the yeah, final yeah. girl. You know, anyone could tell that a mile off. Um, she was the most sympathetic. You know, she was female. Um, she wasn't the one who was introduced snogging someone. Mm -hmm. She'd only met for, you know, 12 hours before. Um, like Pepper was. But for me, I don't know if it's just a personal thing. Because I enjoyed... Um, six feet under, mm -hmm. but I recognised Eric Balfour yeah. as an actor, mm -hmm. and with him being the boyfriend as well, mm. I assumed he would last a lot longer 
and he would sort of maybe sacrifice himself. Yeah. You know, uh, at the end because of, you know, my history with horror mm -hmm. film. And he didn't. He actually didn't last as long as I thought. No. Which makes this more effective. Yeah. It's very, you know, it's not within the film itself, but it's choices like that as filmmakers that help. Yeah, definitely. Help the element of surprise. Yeah, yeah he definitely gets the uh, Janet Lee treatment. Hmm. Yeah, I th I think I don't know what his billing is for me personally. He because I wasn't familiar with any of the others mm. as actors really, apart from Jessica Biel and Eric Balfour mm. and the full male jacket guy. In terms of the victims, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, meanwhile, Sheriff Hoyt uh, arrives at the mill and disposes of the hitchhiker's body in his trunk. After Erin discovers that Kemper is missing, she and Andy go back to the Monty's house. Uh, to the Monty, to Monty's house, <laughs> not the Monty. The Monty house. <laughs> um, and Erin distracts him, whilst Andy searches for Kemper. When Monty realizes that Andy is inside, he summons Leatherface, who attacks him and Erin with a chainsaw. Uh, really great scene. Really builds up the tension and atmosphere. Yeah, and um, it's got that kind of. I suppose the most famous image from the film with the um, clothes, the, the, what's it called? The sheets. Washing, yeah, the yeah. sheets on the washing yeah. line. So Aaron escapes and heads towards the woods. Uh, but Leatherface hacks off Andy's leg with his chainsaw. Uh, he then carries the horrified and begging Andy to the basement where we get the most horrific, disgusting scene in the film where he's trying to get away from him and he drags his nails across the walls and pulls his fucking fingernails off I in doing so. shit like that. Disgusting. Um, and Leatherface impales him on a sharp meat hook before rubbing salt on his stump of a leg afterwards, wrapping it up with butcher paper and tying it with human hair. Um, yeah, again, like you said, you know, the, the, the uh, laundry scene uh, of all the sheets on the lines and everything, it, it's great. Because you don't know where Leatherface is going to come from. It makes for a really great moment. And then him taking him down to the basement. The whole recreation of the Pam scene from the original. Again, this time you do see the hook going through. This time you do see everything. But it works because you see everything. Yeah. it It's, it's working as a horror film in a much different sense than mm. the first film. Because it knows that we know what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, it, it's a remake. And it was, I believe, the first kind of remake like that. Yeah. So it wasn't the first horror remake, but you had stuff like um, House on Haunted Hill, 13 Ghosts, yeah. uh, The Haunting, which took much older films from the 50s and 60s and kind of modernised them. Yeah. And in some cases, put it through the sort of scream filter mm -hmm. of that teen horror. This is, I don't know if there's any other instances around this time of a teen horror film that doesn't feel like it's hugely influenced by scream. No, it's I'd not, say this is the first. Not South French, you know, referencing. It's no. not meta in any way. Yes, it has references to the original film. Mm -hmm. It's because it's a remake of the yeah. original film. Um, so that, to me, is very refreshing. Yeah, yeah, definitely. 
Uh, Erin makes it back to the mill, but before she and the others can leave, Sheriff Hoyt shows up. And after finding marijuana on a dashboard, he orders Erin and Pepper to get out of the van, gives Morgan the gun he took from the hitchhiker, and tells him to reenact how she killed herself. Morgan, who is disturbed by his demands, attempts to shoot him, but the gun is unloaded. Uh, Hoyt then handcuffs Morgan and drives him back to the Hewitt house, taking the van's keys with him. Now, I mean, obviously we're going to get to characters later on, but Arlie Ermey, um, who was in Full Metal Jacket, is by far the best thing about this film. He is. He's a piece of shit. Yeah. And, you know... He does what he does best, yelling in people's yeah. faces. Yeah, he just recreates that performance and he's <laughs> so much, good. Pretty much. Like, but he, he does it well, you he, know? He's also the best thing about Texas Chainsaw Massacre at the beginning as well, where he gets a much bigger role. Like, that is pretty much his film. Um, and, and yeah, he just, he's so good at it. He's so good at what he does. Mm, yeah. You really do hate him. Yeah. And because you hate him so much, you really feel for the uh, the victims yeah the the characters yeah um because i think they get a bit more development oh god within the first few minutes they get more development than the original yeah um yeah because that's what you have to you know by 2003 you had to have that yeah you know you you wanted to see them with pop and be a bit more edgy um but also i feel like they're kind of i'll, I'll say it now because it's in my head but i feel like they're kind of um, allow allow them to get away with a lot more. Uh, the the um the sheriff. Yeah, they like really allow him to get away with a lot. Yeah. Like yeah. helping him clear up the body. Uh-huh. Uh When they initially go into the house, the Eric Balfour character stays outside, where he probably should have went in with Jessica yeah. Biel. I don't remember yeah. any of their names. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but he probably should have went in. You know, they're again probably maybe their laid back nature mm-hmm. um, is their undoing. Yeah, yeah, just in a different sense to the original. Back in the Hewitt house, Andy awakens after passing out from pain and desperately tries to lift himself off the meat hook, only to fall back down onto it and impale himself even further. Erin and Pepper are tracked down by Leatherface, who is now wearing Kemper's face as a mask. Uh, and when Pepper attempts to run, she's killed by him and he cuts her in half. Yeah, that's a creepy shot and a really creepy looking mask. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't, it, it looks more, um, faker. <laughs> it looks well, faker than the original, yeah. but it doesn't look too fake. It looks like he's wearing a face. I mean, that with Leatherface, a lot of the time his masks... It's easy to forget that he's meant to be wearing someone else's face, especially when it gets to the sequels. Um, and you can tell it's just, you know, a mask that's been made up. Um, the third one, specifically. Mm. But this is like, okay, he actually looks like the person that he's took the face from. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. That that really comes about later, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is it? Or is that now? That's now. That's what I'm on about. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, no, that's really effective. Yeah. No, that's, it doesn't look that's, fake. That's the no, scene it looks about. like Eric Balfour. Yeah. 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 Sorry. <laughs> um, yeah, always everyone looks super fake, but it's still all right. I, I like it. It's But it's it's very much like, okay, that doesn't look like a face at all. 
I feel like this film was longer than it has been on these notes. <laughs> we're way more into the film than I thought we were. Erin runs and hides in a nearby trailer belonging to an obese middle-aged woman known as the Tea Lady. And a younger woman named oh, Henrietta. How disgusting. She must she must be a wrong and she's uh, overweight. Oh. Uh, Henrietta gives her tea that has been drugged. Erin discovers uh, that they have kidnapped the hitchhiker's baby, but passes out before she can escape. Yeah, again, you know, too trusting. Yeah. Allowing people, you know, to get away with too much. Mm -hmm. You know, she's been there saying, give me your fucking phone. Mm. You know, what is going on here? What's with these crazy people? Yeah. You know, and she's not. And a lot of... A lot, and they do allow them to get away with a lot do. more than you'd think. Whereas in yeah. the original, you know, they're not really interacting with these people. They're caught by surprise. Yeah, yeah. But there's on many occasions, you know, and I also, you know, notice that it's the two female characters, the Pepper and uh, the Jessica Beale characters, are the ones that decide to not just dump the body and fuck off. Yeah. And again, I think I feel like that's a bit of a theme for the film is being sympathetic actually gets them into yeah. more trouble yeah, definitely. than um it's really worth. Yeah. Uh yeah, because of uh Erin trusting Henrietta and the tea lady, she wakes up at the Hewitt house, surrounded by the entire family. Uh, Leatherface, his mother, Luda May, Hoyt, Monty, and Jedediah. And Luda May explains to Erin that Leatherface was tormented his whole life because of a skin disease that left his face disfigured, and she felt that no one cared for her family besides themselves. Starting off the trend for yeah. modern horror remakes of a backstory. Did anyone order some uh, unnecessary backstory? <laughs> I mean, you know, everyone, we, we already seen, by this point, we'd already seen Leatherface without his mask on. For the first time, by the way, in any of these films. Um, you can make the assumption yourself. You, you don't have to be told. Erin is taken to the basement where she sees the remains of Leatherface's victims. Um, <laughs> Harry Knowles from Ain't It Cool News is down there. I remember his reviews on Sky back in the day. Oh, yeah, I remember him. His, his head is in uh, Leatherface's basement. Yes, yeah. Uh, she finds Andy and kills him to end his suffering after failing to help him off the meat hook. So you're really sympathising uh, for Erin now. Yeah, it's it's really over the top yeah. now. Afterwards, she finds Morgan handcuffed in a bathtub. Jedediah, who does not agree with his family's actions, leads them out of the house and distracts Leatherface long enough for them to escape. Erin and Morgan find an abandoned shack in the woods and barricade themselves inside. Uh, Leatherface breaks in, discovers Erin, but Morgan attacks him, who uh, then he then hangs from a chandelier by his handcuffs and cuts through his gooch with a chainsaw. Through the gooch. Whole lot of chainsaw to the gooch. Oh, um, for any American listeners, gooch is... <laughs> taint we've explained this about five times on this we podcast have. <laughs> well i'm not assuming they've listened to all fucking 800 hours of us talking <laughs> um erin escapes into the woods with lower face in tow but she loses him and when he falls words. when she when he falls over and cuts his leg with a chainsaw 
really what happened there is they cut it out, but um, the uh, the guy who drives a Black Maria showed up in yeah. tire iron and uh, threw it at him and ran away. <laughs> the funny thing, the first time I've ever noticed during the original film, and I don't know why I'm bringing it up now, it's <laughs> just come back to me, is that, yeah, on the side of the truck that it says the Black Maria, but the other side it says gay. <laughs> It obviously means he's a gay icon. He might be. Eren finds a slaughterhouse and goes full final girl and attacks Leatherface with a meat cleaver, chopping off his right arm. This is the moment she's full final girl. She's fighting back. You know, and it's one thing that, uh, you know, by this point with all the slasher films is that you had to have your final girl fighting yeah back rather than fighting to survive you had to have that moment and i don't think they wanted to kill off leatherface because they probably wanted a sequel Mm -hmm. um not realizing that the sheriff was probably the more popular character um so just cut off his arm (laughs) yeah don't kill him don't kill him (laughs) this might make money Erin uh, runs outside and flags down a trucker, sadly not the driver of the Black Maria, no. um, whom she tries to convince to drive away from the Hewitt house, but he stops to find help at the gas station. Luda May and Hoyt talk to the And trucker. the second case of someone not explaining themselves yes. properly and not telling the driver, um, don't go there because they're going to try and kill me or, <laughs> or potentially you as well. Yeah. Uh, Luda May and Hoyt talk to the trucker whilst Henrietta watches the baby. But when Henrietta goes outside to give Luda May her raincoat, Erin sneaks the baby out of the eatery and places her in the sheriff's car. This is a very uh, well-edited scene. So Hoyt goes towards the truck. That's the last place where we saw Erin. So, you know, we see a hot wire in something. We're going to assume it's the truck. Uh, but when he opens the door and there's no one there, it turns out she's hot-wired his car and uh, she runs him over repeatedly until she kills him. She does. Some yes. R- r- such a great scene. Yeah, so this this is the sort of uh, redemption that we weren't allowed to have with Leatherface. Yeah. Because, like I said, they wanted a sequel, um, not realising that they've just repeatedly ran over the character... <laughs> that they would give a more a much bigger role yeah. in the prequel <laughs> because they wanted him back because yeah. he was so great in the role. Uh, Leatherface suddenly appears in the road and slashes the car with his chainsaw. Erin manages to escape with the baby and he watches in frustration as she drives away. Two days later, in the style of found footage and continuing the film's opening scene, Two investigating officers are killed by... Because the Blair Witch Project came out a few years earlier. In in Leatherface's dingy basement, it doesn't look too different to uh, the house in the Blair Witch Project. (laughs) Uh, Two investigating officers are killed by Leatherface whilst doing a crime scene investigation. And the narrator states that the case still remains open to this day. (gasps) Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. I mean... And then showing you the only known image of Leatherface of what he looks like. Yeah. That's a clever move. It's it's uh, it's a cheap move, but it's a clever move. I like it. Yeah, it it's a film that's kind of full of cheap moves. Yeah, it, you know, jump scares, 
um, increased gore, um, Jessica Beale's wet t-shirt for the majority <laughs> of the film. I mean, it's a, it knows its yeah. audience. It knows yeah, what its audience yeah. wants. You know, it highly stylized, gory. You know, a lot of it was cut, but gory. Mm-hmm. Teenagers in peril. Yeah. Film. Um, that's creepy. That uses a lot of set design to bring the creeps together. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a true remake of the original because it shares a lot with the original, but just comes at it from a different angle, a grander angle, yeah. much bigger, much more stylish, bigger budget, more, more, more. How do you like it? It's all right. Yeah. It ain't bad. Yeah. Um, is it a groundbreaking masterpiece? No, not even close. Is it a fun time had by all? You know, thumbs up on that yep. one. So that brings us to the cinematography, scares, kills and soundtrack section of this episode. Starting with 1974, I mean, the cinematography is phenomenal. The yeah, entire film. Daniel Pearl did the cinematography he did. for both films. He did. he did. Thank you for what I was going to say. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> well, it's more yes, of a question. It's true. It's true. Daniel Pearl did do the cinematography for both. Um, yeah. The original looks like a fucking snuff film. Mm. If you didn't tell anyone that, it, you know, that those are actors and everything, they had no idea what this film was. It looks like a fucking snuff film. Yeah. It's one of those films you want to watch in... Um, oh my god, 16mm, whatever yes, it's called. Yes, no, it's, it's one of those that you want to watch did. like that. We did, we did. The, uh, horror marathon, yeah, in cinema. Um, did we? Yeah, I mean, I think you may have fallen asleep at that point. I would, um, it was yeah. a long night, it was, it was the night, it was the last film, film. it was I'm the last a certain film. age, you know, I can't deal with it. Um, was that pre 30? Unlikely, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's still so scary after so many rewatches. It never loses that you know, atmospheric feeling that dirty needs to take a shower after watching it feeling. It never loses it, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I notice more now as someone who's becoming maybe a little more familiar with films, more familiar, but because of the podcast, really but familiar with film techniques mm-hmm. uh, as I watch films time and time again. And I, I'm not a huge fan of re-watching films, um, but in the case of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it doesn't actually lose anything. No. It actually gains because I have a more, a better understanding of what the filmmakers did mm-hmm. and I have a greater appreciation of it as a film. Yeah. Rather than just an experience mm-hmm. as an actual film. Yeah. And the cinematography is a huge part of that. Absolutely. Really, really well made. Yeah. So is the remake. Yeah. Um, the practical effects are minimal. You know, as we've mm. already said, the kills, you know, they don't show anything, but they're still so good uh, because of this, because of the sound design, mm. because of the clever camera angles. And Grandpa's makeup, oh my God. It's still so terrifying to this very day. It is. And because it... It, it does, just looks unnatural. It does look unnatural. And I think it's partly because in a low budget thing. Um, but it actually really adds to it that it looks... Because it doesn't yeah. look hokey. No. Um, and it, it does kind of look like 
Someone who's over the age of 100. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, there's Leatherface masks. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, he has... All the furniture. Yeah. He has, like, three different masks throughout the film, and, and they're all so good. Um, they're all really well made. The set design, like I said, is it, amazing. Like, the little details, like the face lamp, mm. um, you know, the chair with hands on it. Yeah. It's, yeah, so many little details. Um that you notice more and more the more you rewatch it. Um, the incredible uh, minimalist soundtrack contains no sound from musical instruments, uh, with the exception of uh, Fall for a Blonde by Roger Bartlett, which is a banger. Which is a banger, but also <laughs> kind of creepy. It is very creepy. It yeah. is a creepy song. Yeah. Um, it works at the moments they use it in. Yeah, well, the lyrics yeah. as well, you know. Um, spending every day on a sidewalk cafe, drinking coffee, watching women walk by. Yeah. That's creepy. Yeah. Yeah. Fool for a blonde. Yeah. Um, but in instead of uh, actual instruments, they use sounds an animal would hear inside a slaughterhouse. And that sound is iconic. Now. Mm, yeah. It works so well. Yeah. So well. And I don't, you know... I can't think of another film that does that kind no, of thing. No, Like, really? As for 2003, uh, as we said, you know, Daniel Pearl did return. Um, it looks... Uh, one thing we've said a lot on the podcast with post-2003 remakes is a lot of them look like music videos. And this is no exception. Mm. But it looks like a gritty and sweaty music video. It looks stylish, but in a good way. It's still got that little gritty and sweaty feel in there, which I think is massively thanks to Daniel Pearl. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I I think so. And there's some beautiful shots, yeah. as well in the film, but it it does come across as a music video, very highly stylized. Yeah. Um, it's not quite sepia tone, is it? No, but it's got that tint to it. That seventies style. That yeah, tint. yeah. That seventies style tint. Yeah. Um, which you wouldn't know the film was in the 70s unless they told you. Um, because they're all dressed like a 70s inspired <laughs> Gap <laughs> campaign. Yeah. Um, not given too much 70s. No. Uh, but yeah, it's it's got that tint to it. Um, yeah, some beautiful shots. It's not... Now, it's, horror's gone from uh, metal music video. This has given me more... Uh, Mariah Carey music <laughs> video. <laughs> is this just because of the midriff on uh, display? It's there is a particular shot um, after. Is it after? Yeah, after she shot herself in the head. Erin mm -hmm. goes for a moment in a cornfield, <laughs> and her boyfriend goes to join her. <laughs> and you know what I'm talking about, don't I you? Do. And she's having a moment. Um, so obviously it's giving me Britney. It's giving me Britney. <laughs> it's giving me Wake Me Up When September Ends. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like behind her and she's having a moment. And I'm like, this looks like it's straight from a music <laughs> video. Mandy Moore has just broken up with her boyfriend. <laughs> it's giving me all of that. And there are moments yeah. where it's like that. And, oh, bitch, you know, audiences ate that up. They did. They did. And it's... I think I give I can give this film more credit because it was 
one of the first to do that. Yeah. You know, by by the time, you know, eight years down the line and films are still doing it, it's like, okay. Yeah. You know, stop now. It's intense. Uh, the kills are way more gory with some really fantastic practical effects. The first kill alone, the hitchhiker shooting herself, is more gory than all the kills in the original put together. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it works. It works. I mean, I, you know, I always say about the sequels, if you're going to stay away from the minimalism from the original, you better go all out. You better take advantage of that and do everything you can. Because I have no problem with it. You know, if you're not trying to recreate the original, that's fine. But just go all out of it. And it's one of the things that the Netflix one... No, sorry. It's the only thing the Netflix one did well uh, from this year. Because everything else was terrible about it. But it's done really well here. You know, they do go all out. And it's it makes for some really entertaining kills. Yeah, yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is a simple premise. The original, very simple. You know, there's not a huge amount to it, to the plot, to the premise. So, for a modern audience to keep their attention, because within those, you know, almost 30 years, audiences changed. Mm. And so you need to move with the times. Yeah. Um, and much gorier practical effect mm -hmm. more of a, a body horror limbs flying heads blown off because you know in the 70s films were gory but it was still a bit hokey mm -hmm. you know um whereas by 2003 they could do a lot more and so they had to do that and they're looking at it from a different angle you know that doesn't mean i would like the original film to be gory yeah but you know, it's it's apples and oranges to a certain degree. Yeah. The masks look good. The set designs look great. Um, the house is really creepy. That's just out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, and the score's all right. It doesn't really stand out much. Like the original, that doesn't even have any instruments, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not the most original soundtrack. No. Um, so I think for everything, I'm going to give it to the original. Because, I mean, you know, can't complain about a lot of what the remake does. But the original's on another level. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Getting into the characters category, we have Sally and Erin, our final girls. Played by Marilyn Burns in 1974 and Jessica Biel in 2003. I mean, they're both great final girls. Uh... Sally is the OG final girl, you know. Mm. She's the first one to ever do it. And the performance is incredible. You know, she's easy to sympathise with. She is into survival. And, yeah, she's just believable. You know, everything she does, beat for beat, is believable in that situation. Yeah, yeah. She's the girl next door. She's, you know, she's an average teenager. Um, and she's stuck in a hellish situation and that makes her relatable in that yeah. sense um sally by the end fights to survive she never actually physically fights back mm -hmm. like erin does yeah because the fight the role of the final girl had changed a lot by the time erin came along but 
what Sally did was just fight to survive. Yeah. Run, flee, you know, do whatever she could in a hellish situation. Mm-hmm. You know, and the antagonist, only one antagonist dies, and that's purely by accident when he gets ran over. Yeah. And I think that makes her more relatable in, mm-hmm. in the terms of not, you know, not everyone is going to be running around cutting arms off. No. You know? No. But Jessica Biel does a good job of that. You know, she, she does. She slays she does. in a cowboy hat with uh, midriff on full display. Just cannot stop getting that white t-shirt wet, Ex- can she? It's terrible. It's terrible. For a film that only has one scene in the rain, she's she's uh, soaking for a lot of that film. A lot of it. A lot that of top it. becomes see-through quite fast. It does. Um, yeah, it's almost like Michael Bay's producing. Uh, the most she's the most two thousand and three looking character in the seventies. She she definitely is. <laughs> she, she ain't even got a pair of flares on. For no, and she's just got normal denim jeans. <laughs> Um, she's the most sensible and likable out of the bunch of friends. Um, she's the one that's most sympathetic, yeah. which to one degree is the reason they get into trouble. Yeah. But it also makes her more likable. Yeah. Um, she's just a really strong final girl. You know, she's Jessica Biel's very good in the role and... I would have rather have seen a sequel with Jessica Biel and the baby coming back 20 years later than the fucking shitty Netflix sequel that we got. <laughs> they tried to make us believe that Mandy from Mandy is uh, is Sally. I'd have rather have seen a sequel to this with, with Jessica Biel. Is she Mandy from Mandy? She is Mandy from Mandy. What is Sally? Sally Hardesty in this year's one, yeah. What other film was she in then? I'm not recognising her. I don't recognise her from Mandy. Do you not? As Mandy? No. Oh, okay. I'm not sure what else she was on. Oh, no. We're doing that thing we said we wouldn't do. (laughs) But anyway, um, that's a different film anyway. That's a different film. That doesn't count. Um, But yeah, I mean, of course, it goes to Marilyn Burns just for that performance. I mean... Yeah, absolutely. Iconic performance. The screaming. The hysterics. She started the final girl. She started the final girl. She's so likeable. And I think a lot of that comes across because Marilyn Burns yeah. seems so likeable. Because mm-hmm. I have seen interviews with her and, and such. And she comes across as down to earth, mm. everyday kind of girl next yeah. door. And for that role, perfect. Yeah. Next up, we have Leatherface, played by Gunnar Hansen in 1974, and Andrew Brunowski in 2003. Two very different versions of the character. I mean, the original is scary because of how innocent and childlike he is. Mm. You know, he's upset that people are in his house, and he deals with that by killing them. In the remake, he knows what he's doing, and he is brutal and intimidating. He's a killing machine in the remake. You know, he does it because he wants to kill people. Um, And I know Andrew Brunowski was born to play the role, you know. Um, But Gunnar Hansen, the way, you know, his presence in that role, I I think he does a really good job. Yeah, he does. Um, It's a very physical performance. Mm -hmm. And then the choice, like the choice he made to do the dance at the end... Mm -hmm. You know, it's an inspired choice yeah. because it's such an iconic 
image to end the film. Yeah. Um, so just for that alone, he gets my vote. Yeah, definitely. The winner is definitely going to have some. Yeah, or, you know, I know we all wish Dolph Lundgren could have done it, <laughs> but... But this is... What I don't understand about that Dolph Lundgren, um, now I've had time to think about it, is Dolph Lundgren is a muscly man. Yeah. Leatherface shouldn't be muscly. No. Like, where is no. he... Where is he doing weights? Where is he <laughs> exercising? The whole idea is that he's a big guy because he eats a lot. Mm-hmm. And what he probably eats is people. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Fatty. Very fatty people. <laughs> yeah. Diet's not good. Uh, so that brings us to The Friends, which in the original is Jerry, Franklin, Kirk and Pam, played by Alan Danziger, uh, Paul A. Partain, William Vale and Terry McMinn. And in the remake, Morgan Pepper, Andy and Kemper, played by Jonathan Tucker, Eric Learson, Mike Vogel and Eric Balfour. Yeah, they've got a little more about them in the remake yeah. in terms of uh, backstory. You know, they're juvenile delinquents because they've gone south of the border for a piñata stuffed with marijuana. Yeah. Which which is fine. Um, I mean, I, I didn't really care to. We have their character <laughs> tropes immediately as soon as we're introduced stereotype. Like, the guy with the glasses is a bit nerdy. He likes to give everybody facts about mm. STIs. You know, Pepper and the blonde guy whose name I can't remember. Andy. They're free-spirited. Um... You know, I haven't known you very long, but I might be in love with you sort of yeah. thing. They're very much the hippie stereotype. Um, the Eric Balfour boyfriend. I'm not I'm really sure what stereotype he was. I suppose he wasn't in the He film was a long bit of an arsehole, like lying to her and stuff. I it, think the douchey boyfriend. He was a little douchey. He didn't I don't think these characters are the most likable. No, uh, they're not. No. I think it's very much a a case of a slasher film where you want the characters to die. Yeah. In entertaining, over-the-top ways. Whereas the original, it kind of worked that he didn't have the character development there. It's still effective. You know, you explained that earlier in the episode, and it's an absolutely valid point. All apart from Franklin, who is easily one of the most annoying characters in horror history. Um, Pam's a horoscope queen, though. She is a horoscope queen. I do, I did like she when she was giving everyone their horoscopes, and it, it was all pretty much, yeah, you're gonna die. Yeah, <laughs> you're gonna have yeah, a she, terrible she told time. everyone the plot of the film. <laughs> she, she did. That foreboding, which is so brilliant. Yeah, in, uh, horror films. So the the original friends are the winners for me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in finally, the family, the murderous family, we have. Uh, Nubbins, the hitchhiker, the cook and grandfather, played by Edward Neal, Jim Seidel, and John Dugan in the original. And in the remake, we have Sheriff Hoyt, Luda May, Old Monty, Jedediah, Henrietta and the Tea Lady, played by Arlie Hermy, uh, Marietta Marrick, Terence Evans, David Dorfman, Heather, Heather Kafka, and Kathy Lamkin in the remake. Oh, they had to include way more characters in there. I know, of course they did. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, they all do a good job, 
that they're all in really the good. In, yeah, in the yeah. remake, they're, you know, they are stereotypical, disturbed hillbillies. Um, and, you know, Ali Ermi is the best thing about the film. He is fantastic. He's a scene stealer. But whereas the stereotype goes, the original kind of created that. Yeah. You know, they're grubby, they're unpredictable, they're scary. I mean, they're arguably more deranged than Leatherface because they know what they're doing. Yeah, 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 absolutely, I agree. And in, there's so many layers the to the cook, you know. Yeah, Leatherface is, you know, very animalistic, doesn't really know what's going on and just sort of trying to protect himself yeah. in the only way that he's been shown. Mm-hmm. Whereas I find with the other two characters, the hitchhiker and the cook, they are more aware of what they're doing. Yeah. Um, and they've probably made Leatherface violent. Mm-hmm. Um, Jim, Jim Seidel? Yeah. Um, he was the only sort of professional actor in the film and it, it i think it really does show it does because he puts in a great performance mm-hmm. and actually in the sequel a fantastic comedic performance yes yeah. i think he's a great actor yeah. he's got he's got one of those great faces for comedy mm-hmm. which kind of makes him scarier in texas James yeah. in the original mm-hmm. because he has one of those fa- faces and he when he turns and his face shows that he's having a great time and he's laughing at Sally. It's even creepier. Mm, yeah. And yeah, I, I think he's great. And yeah, in both films, the older actor yeah. is the best one, you know? Yeah, absolutely. The original uh, family are the winners. Yeah, I, I agree with that because it's not overdone and it's, yeah. it's very much people, what people get up to when they're left to their own devices. Yeah. yeah. And whereas in the remake, it's the fact that he's a sheriff. I don't really understand what the message is with that one. You know, maybe two trusting authority figures. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And finally, the new awards rounds that we've introduced in our standard episodes. We are carrying those over to original versus remake. However... The rules are we can only give it to one of the films. So, biggest queen. Who's it going to and from what film? For me, it has to be Sally. Yeah. In the original. Marilyn Burns. We, we said it throughout the yeah. episode. Fantastic performance. Sally for me as well. Biggest gasp. <gasps> For me, it's Leatherface's entrance and Kirk's death in the original. Yeah, it has to be. Yeah, that for me, yeah. you know, every time I've watched it, that is that is the scene. The grandpa scene's a close second. Um, and then the Leatherface's first is its entrance scene in the remake would have been a third. Best Or the hitchhiker shooting herself in the head. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. Best dialogue. What's yours? Jerry. Jerry! See, mine isn't. Mine is Pam. <laughs> when she says, 
Hey, listen to Franklin's horoscope. Oh, Travel in the country, long-range plans, and upsetting persons around you could make this a disturbing and unpredictable day. <laughs> the events in the world are not doing much either to cheer one up. Come on, Queen, that is accurate. That like... is... <laughs> But she's a dumb bitch because if she's if she's the horoscope queen, if she's fucking Mystic Meg over there <laughs> telling everyone what's up, she should have been the first to turn around and say, maybe we shouldn't investigate that house. <laughs> maybe we should mind our own business and go home. And finally, that's camp. Oh, that's camp. That's a difficult one. Me. What are you guys? I've picked. Leatherface's dance because that is quite as much dance. as it's the first thing that ever scared me on film <laughs> it looking back at it now it is very camp it Girl is a very works camp. It. it is a very camp dance um i suppose something that that's camp it's the twirl he does it's the twirl that he does <laughs> but something that's kind of camp about the remake is Jessica Biel's midriff. <laughs> um, the, or I suppose the moment they have in the cornfield, <laughs> taken straight from a walk to remember, um, or the fact that through the majority of the third act, her top is constantly wet. <laughs> so <laughs> that's you, camp. What is that? What you're giving it to? I think it's just. Um, yeah, the the wet t-shirt contest okay. in the third act. So that is the only award the remake has won. <laughs> yeah. Our winner is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1974. Ratings for both. I give the original 10 chainsaws out of 10. And I give the remake 8 wet t-shirts out of 10. <laughs> I give the original 10. Um, oh, I don't know. Ten, the penis that Franklin was. <laughs> I was gonna say, I was gonna, ten, ten penis chicken wings filled tins <laughs> out of ten. Ten, um, <laughs> ten, um, surprisingly accurate horoscope, <laughs> horoscope predictions out of ten. Yeah, and I give the remake, um. Six emotional moments in Cornfield out of ten. Uh, one final bit of trivia. Roger Ebert gave the remake a rare zero stars rating. Oh, that's not like him. <laughs> uh, and where you can find both films. So if you want to watch the original, it's available on Blu-ray, DVD and VOD, as well as Prime, Shudder and BFI Player. And if you want to watch the remake, it's on Blu-ray, DVD and VOD. Oh. Finally, our recommendations. If you enjoyed the 1974 original, I recommend that you watch X, released this year. It captures the tone of it brilliantly, and so many little nods and references. It's, it's fantastic. I recommend you watch, and I watch, because I've never, not seen it, but Deranged. I've heard some wonderful things about it. I, I can confirm, but I'm going to need you to give one that you have seen. Why? <laughs> a film like Texas Chainsaw Massacre that you would recommend to our listeners. 
Watch Breaking the rules of our own podcast. Watch it with me, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I do a watch with on Twitch or whatever it's called. Um, well, you, can, you can have deranged because you, you, it's very valid. It's very valid. I was going to say. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it's a more accurate Ed Gein film. Um, okay, so X and deranged. And if you enjoyed the 2003 remake, I recommend the Friday the 13th remake. And if you enjoyed the remake, I recommend... Um, I don't know. What the fuck do I recommend? I recommend the 2022 remake. No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. We want people to listen to us again. <laughs> oh my God, I was unprepared for this. I don't know why. You did tell me this was going to happen. Um, I recommend... It could be older or new. Now watch, watch, uh, yeah. Watch Friday the 13th remake. Because... Same director, and he actually did a good job. It is the same director, yeah. Um, and that brings us to our best... Wait, no. Do you know what's similar? What? The Hills of Ivy. Yes, remake. yes. Watch that. So there you go. Watch That's similar. Both Friday the 13th oh, okay. and the Hills of I, I promise I'll be more prepared next time. Next time, it's going to be an interesting one for the recommendations. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Our best and worst of the month is best and best of the month because we didn't watch anything bad that was newly released. Instead, we have a best new release of the month and a best first time older watch of the month. So, best new release of the month for me is For Love and Thunder. Please still continue listening to this podcast because I don't get it. I do not get the hate behind oh, this no. film. Rant. But it's, it's true though. And it, what's your best new release of the month? Is what it? is, is Thor? Yeah. yeah. I mean, come on. It just does what Ragnarok did. Not as good, but it does what Ragnarok did. It's an MCU comedy. A, a blockbuster comedy. I don't, I don't know what more you could want from it. Just fun. Yeah. It's, Mindless fun. Yeah, it is. Um, I, th I think the idea is that there's too much Marvel going on, um, which I don't necessarily agree with, you know, Sometimes it feels a little formulaic, but if you enjoy the formula, I mean, go for it, you know? Yeah. It ain't going to change your mind about anything. You know, it's yeah. not breaking any boundaries or anything, but it's good. It's, it's like, you know, going into an ice cream parlor and having loads of flavors of ice cream, you know? Obviously, if you go in every day, you might get fed up of ice cream. Yeah. You know, um, but there's so many different flavors. That was a really bad analogy. <laughs> that was really bad. You know um, I mean, I mean the better MCU project... If you don't like ice cream, just don't go into the ice cream parlor. I mean, the better MCU project of the month is definitely Miss Marvel, but we don't normally mention TV shows on here. But It's our it, podcast. We can mention whatever we like. <laughs> we really enjoyed Miss Marvel. Um, it's been a bit, a bit divisive. You know, not everyone has loved it right. or enjoyed it as much as we did. A, a lot of bigots have reviewed Bond on IMDb. Basically. Yeah, that, that's very unfortunate. Um, but we really enjoyed it, yeah. and I would fully recommend it. When people said it was like Lizzie McGuire within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, they weren't wrong. Yeah, you know, I did enjoy that. Best first time older watch of the month. Mine's a tie between This Is Spinal Tax. I know you've seen that before. I've seen This Is Spinal and, Tax. And uh, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. Two new favorite comedies of mine. Yeah, I lo I love. Final Tap, but I've seen it. Um, Romeo and Michelle's 
high school reunion i didn't re i think i maybe watched many many years ago but didn't remember much of it so it was quite a revelation watching it loved it really enjoyed it that and uh, monster in law <laughs> as like your yes romeo and shirt yeah yeah I, I think it's getting a sequel I think. Yeah. Don't quote me on it. I hope so. But really excited for that. Really, just comedy gold. Uh, honorable mentions of a first time watchers for me that I uh, really enjoyed: Better Off Dead, uh, Snow White and His Own Dwarves. Just first time watch. That film for ages. Yes. Yeah. Pompo the Cinephile, new anime film out of the cinema, which was, was right. really good. Yeah. Right. Uh, she done him wrong. I'm no angel and my little chickadee because we did a bit of a May West marathon in preparation for Sex Tap. Mm. The Curious Dr. Hump. Um, I mean... Oh, yeah. <laughs> there was a lot of Curious Dr. Humping going on in that film. That was a um, weird it was, one. It was very enjoyable. It's on the wilder side of uh, cinema. As is Treasure of the Ninja. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Martial arts cinema at its best. Um, Jawbreaker. <laughs> Longest film in existence. <laughs> Jawbreaker. Jawbreaker. Loved it. Trauma. I mean, supposedly Argento's last great film. I really, I loved it. Um, yeah, yeah it was all right. There was, there was Piper one Laurie. thing I loved. Piper Laurie. You know. Grapes of Death, which really took me by surprise how good that was. I thought it was fantastic. French take on the zombie film. Yeah. Dog Soldiers. After many years of meaning to watch it finally watched it and it was really really good really fun yeah yeah very british uh divine trash documentary which we watched in preparation for pink flamingos mm. and it was a really really great documentary and finally in relation to this episode the shocking truth documentary yes anything you want to include you watched slc punk for the first time and Oh, yes, that I did. That was fantastic. Really enjoyed SLC Punk. Yeah, that was great. I, I wasn't sure if I was going to. Um, yeah, was a strange one. Uh, yeah. Matthew Lillard was fantastic in that. That actually reminds me of something I forgot to mention earlier in the episode. If the 2003 Texas Chainsaw Massacre was cast two or three years earlier, it would have been Jennifer Love Hewitt, Sarah Michelle Gellar, Freddie Prince Jr., Ryan Felipe, and Matthew Lillard. Well, that's just I know what you did last summer. Not entirely. Matthew Lillard was not in I know what you did last summer, but that's I you know tell you me looking at those characters. One. You tell me looking at those characters, that's not who it would have been. It absolutely <laughs> one thousand percent would have been Jennifer Love Hewitt. Yeah, in the lead especially role. Especially in the lead role, especially if Wet T shirt was a big <laughs> Part of the uh, premise. <laughs> well, that... <laughs> actually, Ryan Felipe probably would have played would have been the, the blonde the one, slightly douchey boyfriend. No, you'd been the blonde one. Freddie Prince Jr. would have been the boyfriend. I mean, Freddie Prince Jr. doesn't do douchey. No, but it would have been a shock when he died. Yeah, I suppose so. Um, but yeah, that's our original versus remake episode. Let us know on social media if you're uh, a fan of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm, I assume you're a fan of one of them. Um, we are Horrorcult Trash Shiver on Facebook and Instagram. Horrorcult Trash on Twitter. I'm Gaz 92 on Letterboxd. Gazmo205 on Instagram and GazCruise92 on Twitter. I am ChrisBarker823 on Letterboxd and Instagram. 
Uh, if you're enjoying what you're hearing, if you like this new format we've got on the go, then give us a rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, like a follow on everything else, a rating on Spotify. Buy our merch on redbubble.com. Our logo and faces on a variety of objects. Uh, and next month, well, I mean, next week, Tuesday, we're starting off Summer Screams with Camp Blood. And next month, for a Summer Screams special original versus remake threesome, first in a while, we're discussing all three versions of Humanoids of the Deep. Oh, yeah, we are. We are. Um, Humanoids from the Deep. Apologies. Um, <laughs> what did you say? Of the Deep. Um, yeah. I like the original. It's a sleazy fucking film, but it's a lot of fun um, during a lot of it. Not certain scenes, but a lot of it. Uh, remakes both look so trashy. That can make for a very fun episode. I think it could. Definitely. Yeah. But in the meantime, we'll be back same time, same place on Tuesday. Bye. Bye.